Earlier this year, NATO announced its intention to open an office in Japan, which brought, well, sharp criticism from uh, foreign policy analysts and commentators, including from our former Prime Minister, my old friend Paul Keating. Should we be concerned about the security implications of a closer relationship between NATO and not only Japan, but also other Asia-Pacific nations that uh, attended the recent NATO meetings in Vilnius, South Korea, New Zealand and, of course, Australia. Now, as a part of our regular Asia update, I'm delighted to welcome our next guest to give his analysis of the development. Dr. Mishito Suruaka is uh, an associate professor at the Keio University and currently a visiting fellow at the Strategic and Defence Centre, Study Centre at the ANU. Welcome, Mishito. And uh, firstly, is the opening of the NATO office in Japan still going ahead? Um, hello, and uh, thank you for having me. Uh, yes, the, the idea of opening NATO's liaison office in Japan, the the NATO wasn't able to make a decision on that at the last week's uh, Vilnius summit, but uh, it's still on the agenda. So Secretary General Mr. Stoltenberg is saying that uh, the the issue, the, the, he will be and NATO will be coming back to this issue and uh, perhaps after summer they are going to continue discussing this. Opposed by uh, France? Yes, yes. The President Macron of France was explicitly... Uh, opposing to this idea, and uh, and the French uh, officials have elu- alluded that uh, there are some other countries also on board with France in opposing the idea. Uh, so so the, it's quite true that uh, there's no consensus within the alliance. But uh, the one of the important things that I wanted to emphasize is the fact that uh, even if approved. This liaison office is going to be just one person office. So it's just a small thing. So it will never affect the balance of power in the Indo-Pacific region. Well, you make the make the point that there are similar offices in Addis Ababa and in Ethiopia. Yes, the one of the yeah, the the one of the reasons of French opposition to this is that uh, the France is saying that uh, the having a liaison office in Japan is going to change the nature of the alliance as a Euro-Atlantic organization. But uh, yeah, as you say, that uh, NATO already has an office in Addis Ababa, but uh, still, NATO is NATO. It's a North Atlantic, Euro-Atlantic thing. Mishito, you are one of the few voices the few important voices that actually supports closer relationships between Japan and NATO. Will you explain to me why? Okay, so I don't think I'm that minority. (laughs) There are uh, a significant number of experts and officials who are uh, very much for the idea of more cooperation between Japan and NATO, or not only Japan, but also Australia, New Zealand, Korea, and NATO. It is mainly about engagement. So it's not about uh, NATO's troops coming to Asia for operations. No, that's not the case. But the reality is that the, the level of connectedness and level of connectivity between Europe 
and Asia has increased quite a lot. That means that uh, what takes place in Asia affects European interest and vice versa. So we are very much affected by, for example, what takes place in Ukraine. So, so this a connectivity and interdependence between different regions. That that's the that's the sort of a the basic foundation on which we think of NATO engagement in this region. Now, Japan already has close relations with key NATO members uh, through their membership of the G7. Is that not enough? Um, that's a you know, really important point. So we have good bilateral uh, security and defence ties, particularly with the UK, and also France and Germany, Italy, and some other countries as well. But uh, the NATO is a quite effective and convenient venue for Japan to reach out to a large number of European countries. And those are the countries with which we share values and a strategic interest. So they're reaching out to a big number of countries. That's uh, one of the the, the good, good points about NATO. And also, NATO is a venue where we we talk about and we do the interoperability and standardization related things. So when it comes to the thinking about uh, defense equipment, so standardization and interoperability is really important. And uh, Japan is now doing a more uh, joint uh, uh, research and development and production of uh, the defense equipment with European countries. So, so the standardization process at NATO is becoming more important for Japan. Now, Japan has had a very complicated relationship with Russia since World War II, and there are still unresolved disputes over islands. I hadn't realized they've not finalized a peace treaty with Russia since World War II. Exactly, exactly. Yes, that's that's quite true. And uh, Japan and uh, the former Soviet Union uh, is re-established uh, uh, the, the diplomatic relations back in 1956, and that enabled Japan to join the United Nations. So the, we are not officially at war. So the war ended with that uh, 1956 agreement, but uh, still, the, the Northern Territories, uh, the territorial problem uh, exists between the two countries, and that prevents us from, uh, from concluding peace treaty between the two countries, Japan and Russia. You make the point that uh, trying hard to develop a relationship with, with Russia, there was no sanctions uh, applied when Russia invaded Crimea in, well, 2014. Not no sanctions, but uh, the other time, the, the government led by Prime Minister Abe imposed only nominal, uh, minor uh, sanctions uh, because, the, the, because uh, Prime Minister Abe was very much uh, committed to improve relations with Moscow, the, hoping to, hoping to re- get some islands back from Russia. So the, the concluding peace treaty was something that uh, Mr. Abe was really committed to, and uh, that was the reason that uh, Japan's response to the, the the illegal annexation of Crimea was quite soft. Now, the current prime minister has said Ukraine today could be East Asia tomorrow. What line is he taking? 
Yes, the unprecedented uh, level of economic sanctions against Russia. That's uh, one of the things that uh, Prime Minister Kishida has done. And uh, and also the, the the supporting Ukraine, despite the fact that uh, Japan is not in a position to send lethal weapons to Ukraine, but still, the the total amount of support to Ukraine is uh, is is uh, it's now a more than six billion dollars. So Japan is one of the biggest donors to to Ukraine. But uh, the the there are several, there are a few reasons why this time Japan's response is different uh, compared to the, back, back in 1914. The, the, the first scale of what Russia is doing is very different. Uh, and, uh, and also the, the, the sense of urgency uh, when it comes to the connectivity and uh, connectedness between what takes place in Europe and what could take place in Asia. So, so this uh, the sense of urgency has increased and also a personal, uh, the, the factor that uh, Kishida is different from Abe. And Kishida, of course, is concerned that Russia and China are now closer. Yes, that's a, that's a huge source of concern for Japan. And uh, the looking at the map of Northeast Asia, you can easily understand why Japan is in a very, very difficult position in strategic terms, because we face not only Russia, of course, we face China, and at the same time, we we face nuclear-armed North Korea as well. So so, so the countering uh, these three countries at the same time, simultaneously, is a sort of nightmare, strategic nightmare for Japan. So that was so, so that thinking was very much behind uh, Mr. Abe's approach to Russia because they, he didn't want to see Russians and Chinese getting up against Japan. Now, you've mentioned the, the fact that Japan has given quite a lot to Ukraine. It's uh, valued at $7 billion, largely uh, civilian and non-lethal. Uh, is the, the closer relationship universally welcome in Japan or is it splitting the parties? Um, the, in general terms, the the level of people's support for government policies is is quite high. So the yeah, so the, there are some, of course, opposing voices uh, because uh, it's democracy; it's just natural. But uh, I, I think the level of a a support uh, for support to Ukraine and uh, the imposing sanctions on Russia is remarkably high. And also the level of interest in the war in Ukraine in Japan has been consistently quite high. But you also make the point that the main opposition does not have a, a coherent foreign policy. Yeah, that's quite true. So, so, so the the approval rating of the current government led by Mr. Kishida is declining. So that causes a lot of problems and for, for, for the government. But uh, the opposition parties are very fragmented. So the no party has a realistic chance of uh, taking power in, in the next election. So, so yeah, that, that, that's the situation, yes. Now, Japan is uh, increasing its military spend. It's up, to, uh, it's up to 2%, which is the NATO minimum. Do you think that Japan's three non-nuclear principles could uh, be under threat? Um, I don't really think so. Because, there, yes, on the one hand, there are 
the the discussions taking place about uh, the the whether Japan should uh, uh, propose a NATO type nuclear sharing or or the introduction of U.S. nuclear weapons to Japan. There are some voices for such idea, but uh, the in overall terms, yes, the discussions are good, but uh, the I don't think there is any realistic uh, prospect for the government to change the non three non nuclear principles. So, so not producing and not introducing and uh, not having nuclear weapons. What's been the response from uh, Southeast Asia? Has ASEAN made a statement oh, on nu- nuclear issues? No, on the on the whole Japanese stance on NATO. Oh yes, the I, yeah, I I understand that uh, those who are skeptical and critical of U.S. military presence and engagement in this region uh, don't like NATO's involvement or NATO's engagement. That's just natural. But uh, I, I think the the getting NATO more engaged in this region is about offering more choices, particularly given the fact that uh, the U.S. power is declining, at least in relative terms, then the getting more countries and other actors on board is something that uh, is very much in the interest of the region as a whole. A final question. Is there a place, still a place, for regional security agreements, uh, given the, the global impact of the war in Ukraine, or indeed a possible war over Taiwan? The, I, I see that uh, there are uh, some people who propose uh, the Asian NATO or Asian multilateral uh, the, the security organization, but uh, the realistically, I think the still the security in this region is very much based still on U.S. alliances, bilateral alliances. So the U.S. Japan and the U.S. Australia, U.S. South Korea. So the but a new sort of element here is that uh, there are now more interactions between those different alliances. So the Japan-Australia security and defense ties is one of such great example. So the more cooperation between US allies in this region and US partners, and that includes, of course, India. So the Quad framework, Japan, US, Australia, India framework, that's also a, a, a quite quite important in terms of thinking about the future of the security in this region. Look, thanks for your time. It's been a privilege to talk to you. My guest has been Dr. Mishito Surakura, and he's an associate professor at Kyo University and currently a visiting fellow at the ANU. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.